is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Screen Talk is brought to you by Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, now streaming exclusively on Netflix. In 1999, Jim Carrey played cult comedian Andy Kaufman in the biopic Man on the Moon. Carrey earned a Golden Globe for the performance, but many of the production's most Kaufman-esque moments played out behind the scenes, thankfully captured on video. In Jim and Andy, Carrey looks back at the resulting footage almost 20 years later, reflecting on how he and Andy came up in oddly parallel universes. His experience channeling Andy and Tony, and more broadly, the spiritual journey of his career. The footage in this documentary is really quite something. You really gotta check it out, even if you haven't seen Man on the Moon, but especially if you have, you'll want to go back and watch it again. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. I'm in New York. She's in L.A. We're both gearing up for Thanksgiving and basically just trying to fill in every possible gap we can before the end of the year. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about from the Independent Spirit Award nominations, but before we do that, on a uh, more dramatic note, of course, the sexual harassment scandals involving the film industry continue to unfold and shock us on a regular basis, and we're constantly wondering what's going to come out next. The most recent... uh, update since we last spoke was this John Lasseter news that he's got taking a six-month leave of absence because of uh, inappropriate behavior with his staffers, some of which has been detailed, some of which hasn't. We don't know all the details, but what do we make of this, the sense that Pixar, which seems like this family-friendly, everybody loves them, they're the good guys, that even they're somebody at the top of the food chain is, uh, is, is guilty of this kind of behavior. What does that do to our perception of these scandals overall? Well, I think that what a lot of people are going through right now in Hollywood, um, people inside the industry, uh, is, is trying to, to create a, a spectrum uh, and, and, a, and a sort of how do you judge, how do you react? I mean, in the case of someone like John Lasseter, um, you know, who had such an extraordinary career, who's had such an enormous impact on animation and who is such a genial, friendly um, guy. Yes, he liked to hug people. I've been hugged by John Lasseter. I liked being hugged by him, but I didn't work for him and he wasn't powerful over me. And it's the same dilemma. It's the same um, hideous uh, paradigm that we keep seeing repeated over and over again, where people who are extremely powerful inside their workplace are taking advantage of weaker people who have no, you know, especially in the world of animation, you know, how, how, where else are you going to work? I mean, the peak of the food chain, the top of the, of the mountain is, 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 is Disney and Pixar. And he was in charge of both for 11 years. And yes, we can look at him and say, incredible pressure, incredible standard of performance. Maybe, you know, what, why was he behaving like this? We don't know, but it, it wasn't okay. But at the same time, how do we 
how do we look at how Disney and Pixar, it's like he's identified with them. Yeah, that, he's this compared is the, to Walt Disney. That, you know? This is the thing. I mean, he, he sa- we know that he saved the studio in the past decade the way that he and his team brought in the philosophy of Pixar. I mean, the question is, how do you separate, in this case, not the artists and the art as the conversations with Louis C.K. or Woody Allen or whomever. It's more about, you know, how much does this overshadow what Pixar is, the identity of Pixar, our relationship to that brand. Is he such a liability? It's, it's also it's getting harder and harder to understand what the varying degrees are. I mean, it sounds like with Lasseter, it wasn't just hugs. It was something else, and it should no, have been no, dealt no, with a while No, no, doesn't ago. sound like. We don't know. Again, we don't know exactly. And there's nothing. This is a this is a case where obviously um, internally they they decided. You know, no no one went to the press or anything like that. This is a case of of getting ahead of something. And, right, and there were some things that were mis- seemingly misreported, right? Because Rashida Jones put the statement out to the Times that. They didn't leave Toy Story 4 because of something like this. They left because of something involving the lack of uh, diversity at Pixar, which is also troubling. So this is a whole bunch of problems for And they've Pixar had issues with women, taking Brenda Chapman off of Brave and not right. hiring enough women animation directors. And, and but, but then, of course, the standard they were maintaining, they were throwing people off of movies all the time to make them, you know, just to get to the next place that they wanted to go in terms of, the, you know, this is the thing about Pixar. I mean, I've there is no other production entity in Hollywood that has maintained as high a standard of excellence. Now you can do it in animation in the sense because you can rewrite. You can rewrite and rewrite, re-storyboard, reanimate, do it over and over and over and over again until you get it right. It isn't dependent on the kinds of strictures of, of live action filmmaking that you, know, you you go out, you shoot it, and you're done. You know, that's that's it. This time, you know, I I, I really feel I do feel a great deal of of empathy for the people over there who are dealing with this. And, it's embarrassing. Uh, it's frustrating because it, it overshadows so many other things that are going on. But I think the lesson that we get from this, in a different way, but I think in, in, in there are echoes of what, what happened with Weinstein, which is there is a legacy that you start to take for granted for a while where a certain kind of brand, a certain kind of stature seems untouchable. I mean, certainly Miramax in the 90s, there was that aura that Pixar in a different kind of way has had for so long. And what we're starting to realize is that no organization is above these kinds of rules. Nobody, and nobody is is basically, everybody is vulnerable to the possibility of this kind of behavior happening. It doesn't matter how, how amazingly pristine they look from the outside. And, and that, essentially, in, in the film industry, in a place where you have you know, a lot of people working in close environments with you know, casual kinds of encounters and, and a lot of creative types who don't always understand where the line is, this kind of stuff it can just run rampant when it's not regulated appropriately. But here's the thing. I guess part of what we're talking about is is that someone, I mean, these are people I knew. These are Harvey Weinstein and John Lasseter, people that I covered for decades. And you, and and you see him at parties and it, you chat with let them. Let me put it one way. Let me put it one way. So someone like, like Harvey Weinstein, I knew he was a bad guy. You know, I knew he we was a bad guy. I didn't get along guy. with him. Yeah. I thought he, he had terrible values. I did not approve of him as a 
person, I certainly approved of many of the movies that he made and, and, and many of the, of, of, of the, you know, the fact that he, that he transformed the independent, uh, film landscape in a radical, incredibly effective way. But that was business. You know, I knew he wasn't a good guy. Now, someone like Lasseter, I really admired and really liked and, and what he said and how he presented himself and the family man that he represented, you know, and, and, the, and the value of, of, the, of the movies that he put into the world, you know there was goodness and, and good, strong, empathetic values in him that were in his movies. Well, that and are, they may, that all of that is, should still be valid. You know, I don't, I, I mean, certainly there's nothing about the Pixar brand that should be invalidated or Lasseter's previous work. To me, based on what we know, and I, and I, and I don't want to make any assumptions about anything that could come out later because you just don't know at this point, but Harvey Weinstein was a bad guy who was responsible for supporting good movies. It seems to me like Lasseter was maybe a good guy with some serious flaws in his behavior. Yes, yes. And, and, and that shouldn't necessarily take away from the accomplishments, but it also is something that in our current climate is... There, there's just no way that that information can be public and it can't be dealt with. It must be dealt with and it has to be dealt with in a very severe way. And the varying degrees to which people are culpable, I think, are what are starting to mandate how things are responded to. I mean, you look at how quickly PBS pulled the plug on Charlie Rose, right? Fired within a 12-hour window. Lasseter has case. not been fired. But Lasseter yeah. has not been fired. Charlie Rose clearly was, was, was crossing many more extreme lines, which is not taking away from the awful stuff that Lasseter seems to have done in these stories. But we the, don't know. We but don't know. But we do months. know. What I do know is that Charlie Rose, again, was someone who I watched regularly. He was part he of my was living totally room. totally pervy even on TV. You look at the mashups of his behavior on the morning show that John Oliver used to put together, and it's like the guy was a total flirt. So when they're he flirts like that flirt, and they're He was a what powerful, I loved was that he was flirting. I mean, this is transparently so. He was flirting with older women. He, taught, he, he treated Anne Bancroft in her late years as though she was the sexiest woman who ever lived. He flirted with Hillary Clinton on his show. Yeah, there but was something, are you saying there was that's something, awesome? Or, I mean, there was something, there was something, I, I am ambivalent here because obviously he, be, he behaved badly, but he was a man who liked and appreciated smart women. Well, I think what we're getting out of a lot of these stories that are coming out is, is, is that can be a warning sign in the wrong yes, context. Yes, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, that guy loves the ladies. He's awesome. Well, no, actually, that probably points to other... I mean, what happens when the cameras go away? You well, know, you know what I think is or... going on? I mean, I'm an amateur psychologist. Obviously, this is stupid to, to speculate. But, but I, you know, clearly people who are under... Um, I always looked at Charlie Rose and went, how the hell does he do that? You know, how does he work that hard? He's on CBS. He's on... Uh, PBS. He's doing more than one show a day. He's interviewing these high-powered people all over the world. He's prepared to to talk to people at a very you know elevated level. You, people argued that he didn't do that well when he was interviewing show business people, and sometimes he skated, you know. But I saw him take on um, you know people like Neil Young and 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 do really well with him, you know. So well, he, yeah, he, he wasn't he wasn't flirting with Neil Young. We can take that no, off the table. That no, danger wasn't there. No. No, but I I will say I, I will say that he that he was um, um, under duress, and, and so I guess this womanizing thing, you know, someone like someone like Elliot Spitzer, 
you know, going and, 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 and get hooking up with prostitutes. You, and what, what is it with someone like Elliot Switzer or, or Wiener, you know, who, uh, you know, the subject of one of your favorite movies, what is it about these people that drives them to do these unbelievably destructive things? Well, the thing is many people are vulnerable. We know clearly there's something that has to do with money and power that, that drives people to, to go beyond the normal boundaries of acceptable behavior in their kinks. And sometimes those kinks manifest even without those variables involved. There are certainly pervy people who don't make much money at all and, and or people who are who have all kinds of different problems that drive them to this kind of erratic behavior. But in this particular context, you do see how some kind of interplay of often the, the casual uh, blurring of the lines between work and play and, and feeling like someone is, is powerful and has control over someone can lead to uh, an expression of urges that should not be expressed the way that they are. The thing that I think is notable about Spitzer, and this is by no means an excuse for his behavior or anything, <laughs> he went to, he paid for sex from professional sex workers, okay? In every other instance we're talking about, someone is taking their sexual desire and making it a part of the workplace where it doesn't belong and devaluing people who don't want those desires to be part of their their relationship and that's that's where the line is always being crossed no matter what the varying degrees are like if louis ck had this kink to jerk off in front of other people why didn't he pay to do that in front of somebody and then it wouldn't necessarily come back to him in such a terrible way if that came out it would not destroy his career in many of these cases i think that would be the reality so there is something about crossing that line or, or, or the freedom to kind of disregard professional boundaries that you see in all of these cases and that I think people are starting to learn more about. It's sort of like, you know, I'm afraid to, um, you know, and I, when, I, when I see somebody to, to do anything but shake their hand because I don't want to go beyond whatever their, their kind I of boundaries are. I hugged Guillermo del Toro the other well, day. Well, everybody it's hugs Guillermo del Toro. cuddly people who I love. I don't you think know, he's going to complain. But, but. but I, I actually recognized, you know, that, that we're all a bit quick to touch each other. I mean, when do we have permission? When do we have permission to touch someone else? Uh, but when let me just say before we go too okay. deep into this, we're not going to become so, you know, chaste that we're not going to, you know, be affectionate towards each other or anything like that at the end of the day if you are a sane you know normal person and just don't grope people and don't don't kiss them on the mouth and all that kind of stuff you'll, you'll probably be okay let's not start saying as, as as some moronic conservative person on twitter said that that mike pence had a point with that whole thing where he can't be alone with it with any other woman and if his wife's not in the room or whatever you know we are uh social uh, carefree types of people and we do like being in casual environments and this is the point that I made about Harvey that really drove me nuts was everyone noting all this bad stuff he did at film festivals he's ruining it for the rest of us we like to party and hang out and be sort of casual all right. and you know all right come on so this is the thing that's come up in a lot of conversations that I've been having in Hollywood uh, lately which is this idea people are uncomfortable that partying is now under scrutiny exactly and, I mean what is and the, the point that there? I'm I know the point that I, I mean, Hollywood is nothing if not a party environment, um, you know, on, uh, in any, uh, you know, uh, at any time and in any decade, that has always been true from the beginning. And, and I think partying will continue.
continue uh, behind closed doors. But but the question is when it enters the workplace. That's when you get into into situations that are not okay, um, and when people who are powerful are are pre- preying on some level on the people who work for them. This is not okay. And obviously, a lot of people during uh, that we're talking about here, and it's again, it's all different situations. No, it's not all the same. Sometimes they believe that it's okay to do what they're doing. That's the part that I find the most disturbing. That right. they think they're flirting, uh, you know, and and so you know that they're womanizing in, on some level in a good way. And and that's that, that seems to have, have have been misunderstood in many cases. Yeah, it's a reckoning that's not going away anytime soon. Anyway, let's talk about some movie stuff. We've got the Independent Spirit Award nominations out. Uh, the Gothams are happening on Monday night, but we just got these nominations for the Spirits, which are a much bigger scope in a way, and, and a much bigger kind of process. They're the, the awards that happen right before the Oscars, so it's going to happen in LA, in L.A. It's a very snazzy event and um, really gives you a sense of what's going to get a bump from this kind of visibility. Not everything in the Spirit Awards is even eligible for the Oscars, much less getting nominated, but there are a couple of films that got real bumps. So I would say that the three films that are in good shape for the Oscars that we do not have to worry about, who did well with the Spirits, the strongest contenders at the Spirits are Call Me By Your Name, which got six nominations, Get Out, which got five, and Lady Bird, which got four. Well, now, your favorite, Good Time, also got four. Yeah, I'm not surprised Good Time is in there. Yeah, that's a t- perfect spirit contender that I doubt will translate at, at the Oscars. But, you know, if, if, if someone were to make a case for Pattinson, that's then... The that's 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 he needed this nomination to but, get you know, there. They also gave a nomination to Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out, which I thought was pretty neat. I mean, he is that is another amazing performance. That even though everyone's talking about that movie, uh, the performances aren't usually talked about as much as Jordan Peele and, and the, the movie as a whole. So I thought that was kind of cool. Maybe he'll get a bump for that. Certainly. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, the quint the thing that's that I find sort of weird is how foreign. They went with their, they, for example, they took Luca Guadagnino, who you would expect, who happens to be Italian, for Call Me By Your Name, an English language movie. But they also put in the Ixiambra uh, Italian uh, director as as well, which I, I found a little odd. While they didn't give it uh, an international nomination. Well, let's, make let's that? About, well first of all, well, here's what we know about the Spirit's nominating process. It's slightly less secretive than the Pentagon Papers, but um, not that (laughs) much, because apparently they put the fear of God into the people who select all these movies who come out to L.A. if they're not already there and and have a conversation and choose all these movies, but it's a a pretty big committee, and they're talking through a lot of stuff. They're not just talking through favorite movies, they're also looking at a bigger scope of stuff and trying to make decisions that feel right for the spirit. So somebody like Jonas Carpignano, that's, that's pretty surprising to me. I think it's a good movie. I saw it at Cannes. It's a very strong piece of neorealism. I saw the film. It reminds me of Garon or what was it? Is that the right name? The other Italian film about the same kind of gangstery milieu? It's a very specific kind of filmmaking in any case. And Scorsese's an EP on it and gave notes. So it's got, it's, it's a nice kind of, it's consistent with Mediterranean, his last film, but it's not a first film. So it feels like it's a step up on some level. It is surprising of all the different people you could put in that category to have him there. It almost feels like you got Jordan Peele, Sean Baker, 
Luca. Those people oh, are sort man. of great. Oh yeah. man! Oh well, man! Okay. And they That's put true. Greta. They put Greta in screenplay. So predictable. Well, let's honestly. be clear. The best director category is not Ullman because of Chloe Zhao for the writer. That's right. That's right. That's who right. Who would not qualify for the Oscars anyway because that movie's opening next year. The spirits have different rules in that respect. That's a um, festival hit, which yeah. I liked very, very much, and I was happy movie. to see it do so well. But it is an interesting one. I mean, I, I think that stands out to me most on this list, that they are really elevating the profile for that movie, and it has a different identity because it's not an award season player so much as this is going to tip into its exposure next year when Sony Classics will put that movie out. You know, it's gotten It the feels like they, 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 they as you, uh, that's another case of international. She's Chinese, a Chinese director who works in America, and this was an American film in English, so it wasn't a foreign film. It wasn't right. technically. So, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting case of a movie that if it had been an, in a foreign language, might have been a contender in that, in that category. Right. It is surprising to me that, that, that neither um, D. Reese or Greta Gerwig would get a Best that Director nomination. That was what I was saying. I, yeah. I think that on some level it's, it's about finding consensus on certain things. And I, my sense is that something like Mudbound is not a movie that everybody loves. People want to celebrate her, but the movie is not for everybody. Um, Lady Bird is a little surprising to me. I mean, it feels like that. That's it's a very well assembled piece of filming. So I, I would I would argue that I don't I don't think that tells you anything about the uh, awards prospects for either of these filmmakers. But they're still very much in the game for best director. Certainly Greta with Lady Bird doing so well. We don't know how. I well would think so. I agree with you there. But it, it's a sign of what aspects of the movie these various juries felt had the strongest um, uh, reward. You know th that they should be recognizing. So they're saying screenplay. And best actress and best supporting actress for Lady Bird, and there's two mother-daughter combos. So I, Tanya, got in there too as well for Margot Robbie and, and Allison Janney, yeah. and that's going to repeat at the Oscars, I think. But but the idea that that um, and and, and vulner the, the Florida Project looks a little bit vulnerable, as I suspected always that it would be. It's it's more of an indie spirit movie than an Oscar movie, as good as it is. Uh, that it only got two two of those nominations. And how about uh, Frances McDormand, who got obviously for three billboards, but it didn't get director, it didn't get picture. That was when we were talking about it as a quasi dark horse before it came out, and it's done well. But maybe... I suspect that the very same things that the spirits did are going to happen at the Oscars. It might make it to picture. You know, that's the big one. But it probably will be screenplay and best actor, uh, actress and best supporting actor. I it's went not, to see it yeah. again last night. And it's a good, good movie. It doesn't work but, for everybody. But it's, it's but, and it played well in the, in the theater. But, it, but it's still, it is still an acting piece and a writing piece well, more than anything is, else. The thing that has dogged Donna as a, as a filmmaker in his three movies, and it's also ironically what people have embraced his much larger body of work in the theater for, is that... You can't always categorize his film so easily. They're sort of sad black comedies, but then they can be dramatic or they can be really goofy at different points in time. And as a direct, I think that reads to a lot of people as sort of he, he can't quite get a handle on that from a directing standpoint. It makes him harder to, to push along as a, as a best director candidate than as a screenwriter he's seen I don't know if I, I see it the same way I, I think I think the way that he um, I'll come at it another way it the movie is is idiosyncratic and doesn't follow 
conventional structures and genres, and therefore people have trouble knowing where to put it. And but the writing is so strong that that is surely going to get through uh, to to the to the writing branch, who are less conventional and less hidebound than the more mainstream academy. So I, uh, that's another way of coming at it. So you mentioned Pattinson. We talked about Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, both being in the best male lead category. We also got James Franco for The Disaster Artist, which continues to screen around and seems to be playing very well. Everybody likes and him. He has a that shot. He well. really does. He really has a People shot. People like nominating. They like supporting Franco and the, the story around him now that he's kind of you know more focused than ever before. He Cleaned up his act. Exactly. <laughs> not like he had like a problem. He was just overexposed. And so this is a good moment for him. Then you got Timothy Chalamet, Call Me By Your Name's finally coming out. Seems to be getting a lot of support. People really so like they the guy. With Hammer, yeah, they love him. He's in, I think. But the question is whether they're going to go with Hammer or Stolbarg. So the spirits went with Hammer over Stolbarg. I actually think Stolbarg has a good shot with the Academy. It's interesting uh, because Hammer is, the, is in more scenes, but Stolbarg has one major monologue in the right. movie that everybody talks about. That's, that's right. And he also plays the fantasy dad, the dad that we all wish we had. And he just does such an amazing job of it. And he has, he's in a, he's in a bunch of movies that he showed up in the post. He's in the post. <laughs> yeah, he's, so random. He's, 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 you know, he's, he's in all, you know, he was on, on Boardwalk Empire, obviously. Uh, he's yeah, in, everybody he's loves in that guy. Water, I mean, in the, in the, in the you know, Brothers movie, and they're all, he should have been, he should have won for that. I agree. Complete yeah. ch chameleon, amazing actor. And I think he's an actor's actor that the actors appreciate. So I suspect, in a weird way, Army Hammer, who's on the cover of The Hollywood Reporter, looking very sexy and, and Adonis-like, um, is, is actually becoming more of a movie star. Well, it's funny a, because what? the narrative around Army Hammer was he tried to do the big movies and it didn't quote-unquote work, and that with Coming By Your Name, he sort of found a groove working, you know, being more filmmaker-focused. But at the same time, you know, he's a good-looking movie star, and maybe that is, uh, like, I think what you're suggesting is maybe that works against people taking him seriously as a major actor, even in a movie that's taken seriously as a major movie. I want to say very clearly that I think Army Hammer is a really good actor, and that in movies like Edgar, uh, you know, Jay Edgar, yeah. Edgar, and 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 these other things that he's done, he's he, even he was even good. I hate to say it, but he was good in in, in Lone Ranger. You know, I mean, he's I a very good it. actor. I think he's very he was, solid. He was he was pretty good in Birth of a Nation, which I thought was just an okay movie. I mean, he's sort of like been looking for the right vehicles since Social Network. This right. is the first time in a while that it really crystallizes in a way. I mean, he fits what this movie needs to do with that performance, but it makes it harder to ascertain the actual performance from the function of somebody who looks like that in this movie. And I think that's sort of an interesting thing to talk about versus the, the Stuhlbarg thing, which is just great acting, full, full stop. Nobody's going to debate that. So. Right. It's just a question of how many, how many slots there are. I mean, The Shape of Water... Um, uh, could 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 take a, a, a slot if Richard Jenkins gets in that kind of thing, um, and and I think by the way on on um, three billboards I think Woody Harrelson is really good too. I, I think he's fantastic in that movie. Uh, it's almost one of these people that people take for granted. And and Sam Rockwell has been good for so long, and he seems to be the one that everybody's focused on. So we'll see what happens. And Mudbound got an um, 
Ensemble Award, but it didn't get picture and it didn't get director. It's and a backhanded compliment at the end of the day to do that to a movie. It's That's the same thing the Gothams yeah, did. Yeah. And, and, and I'm afraid, I hope the SAG comes through with an ensemble because that would be a sign of strength for Mudbound. There's, it's, again, it's in theaters, it's in limited release, it's doing its sort of Netflix day, Netflix day and day thing, and yet there's a sense of, when we put up a story about Mudbound on the site, they, it doesn't ever necessarily do well, you know? Right, it's, right. There's a sense that there's no traction for it, at the same time that so many people admire it, including me. Right, right. I would say the, the thing that's interesting about the Spirit Awards is less these movies that we spend the whole year talking about and actually the ones that get to be squeezed into the conversation uh, because they have categories for them. Not even the writer situation, but more like the fact that they could get Ghost Story into the John Cassavetes How Award How did I category. know you were going to say that? <laughs> because I love talking about a Ghost so Story. It's a beautiful movie. Well, yeah, the movie's not, though, so people should go check it out. I mean, use it as an excuse. I mean, it's, it's the a best good one movie. I love David Lowry, and but it's so, a there's more stuff. And I, mean, look, I love Lady Macbeth. I think it's great. Lady Macbeth is a terrific movie. And, as a foreign uh, film. Yeah, as, and, and a fantastic woman. In fact, I Am Not a Witch is a good movie, too. There's a lot of interesting stuff here that people should dig through and, and try. You know, especially those people who are getting award screeners at the end of the year. The shoebox gets really high and daunting. This is not a bad place to start, is to work through these nominations. And Marjorie Prime, Lois Smith got in yeah, there, which is great. Another one worth That's a good one to see. A little underrated this season, that's for sure. So uh, uh, there's a few more gaps. We keep coming back to this, how in the last few weeks we knew that there were just a few more movies we needed to see. Star Wars is still a couple weeks away. Uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson film is one we're going to see over the weekend, but we can't talk about the fact that we've seen the post not even on social media, because we got this really weird uh, directive from the studio that we can't share, actual quote, social sentiments about the film. Social so I went ahead and sounds did like this very... I know, what write. the hell is that? <laughs> what does it mean? So I went and did this very uh, carefully crafted tweet. I did it in bed this morning on my iPad. And I carefully made sure that it wasn't a review and it didn't go too far this way or too far that way. And it wasn't, you know, and I, I put it out. It was sort of a descriptive thing. I put it up. Immediately people on Twitter were like, that's a review. That's a review. <laughs> and then somebody said, that's social sentiment. <laughs> and I just put, I just took it down. You know, it's like they're afraid that, that you would set off a tsunami of other people feeling like the embargo had been broken, which is set for nine o'clock on Monday after the next screening. The studio wants more people to see the movie and feel like they have a chance to weigh in at the same time. Well, and, and, and so they shall, but needless to say, here's what, what I, I can tell you about the post. It's a Steven Spielberg movie through and through. For sure. It's going to play that way. He's one of the you know great commercial filmmakers of our time, and this movie is going to be part of awards. You know, I will tell you that it. I did cry at a certain point. <laughs> That's the sentient comment, in. I cried. I'm <laughs> describing my own physical response <laughs> to the movie. Out of happiness, out of sadness, we don't know. We don't but, know. But I will tell, tell you the truth. I also say I'm an easy cry, so you know, take that for what it's worth. Here, and, I, and I will. I will posit that. However, we end up talking about this movie from a critical standpoint that uh, it, even as it is an award season player, this award season conversation is going to continue to be a very difficult one to have because there are so many possibilities. 
I'm going to go into my charts and I'm going to do some updating. And if you want to read what you will from that, you may. Um, And then uh, the other movie we're going to see on Friday after Thanksgiving is uh, Phantom Thread, finally, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And he's PTA and some of the cast are doing some some uh, Q&A's around L.A. at least. And uh, we will report on the Q&A's without reviewing Phantom Thread. (laughs) Just read between the lines or what the hell, just send us some direct messages on Twitter. And, and I find and, all of this um, hand, uh, uh, I, I find all of this, uh, I, I guess I consider it to be a, a form of bondage. It's like, it's like you can't do the thing you want to do the most. You can't share, you can't reveal. And of course they have the right to do this because they're giving you early screenings and those are the terms. Well, so, and everyone's so paranoid about information leaking at the wrong moment and all this kind of I mean I get it you know it's a especially given the way that the campaigns operate and one wrong word can set the wrong tone I mean this happens all year round you see it happen with can and a movie gets booed and then it sets the tone for the movie the rest of the year so whatever I, I could see it both ways I also don't like being muzzled so I can't wait till next week when we can speak freely about what we think about these movies and then you know, just kind of coast to the end of the year, basically. So, Looking forward. Have a good Thanksgiving, You Aaron. too, and Enjoy the turkey, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.